MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 147 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strzok. The prosecution is rested in the New York Attorney General's $250 million civil fraud trial. And now the defense is calling their witnesses. First up, Donald Trump Jr. We'll go over the latest in that trial. Plus, Jeffrey Clark's disbarment trial has been scheduled as a federal judge denies his motion to stay the ruling that sent his case back to state court. Ah, yes, I forgot. He was trying to get his Georgia case moved to federal court. (laughs) So much trying, so much failing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, many fails. Uh, More shenanigans in the House with Republicans, including Jim Comer subpoenaing Jim and Hunter Biden, as we learned that Comer, too, lent $200,000 to his brother. Uh, And the impeachment inquiry into President Biden seems dead on the vine. Plus, big legal trouble for Mayor Eric Adams, New York mayor, as the FBI seizes his devices. And we learn a little bit more about the federal investigation there. And uh, Hunter Biden. (laughs) Unlike uh, Jeff Clark, he did have his pants on, though, when the FBI seized those devices. Thank goodness for small miracles. (laughs) No pun intended. Yeah. Republicans, keep your pants on (laughs) at night. Okay, we don't want to see you. Uh, in, the, in your driveway, in your underwear. Also, Hunter Biden has sued former Overstock CEO Patrick Byrne for defamation. But before we get to all that, we need to thank our new patrons this week. You make this show possible. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, we could not do this without you. So thanks to Denise Jacobs, Susan Suzuki, Summer, Kieran Martin, Diet Evil, Tiger Reel, Chips Currency, Brent E. Creeble, Joan Cotta, Gail Kirk, Carolyn Choi, Mel Grant, AG's Gen X references, and Pete's passionate sweary rants are my Prozac. Give to modestneeds.org, then visit deepfakestop.com. Gina Nadazio Laws, Sugary, Nigel Babu, Linda Kryloff, Waiting for Justice 94920, and Mary Barrio. Thank you so much for supporting independent journalism, supporting this show, supporting me and Pete, supporting MSW Media. We really appreciate it. If you want to join up, get your name shouted out, whatever type name you type in, we're going to say you can send it to us uh, by or uh, sign up, I should say, by going to patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod. That's A-I-S-L-E 45 P-O-D. We had a really great time this past Friday. We'll talk about that in a minute, too. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's start with Mayor Eric Adams, because that investigation 
escalated quickly. That escalated quickly uh, this week. <laughs> so let's talk about that, Pete. Yeah, so there's a lot going on both last week and then continuing into this week as we're taping. So from the New York Times, uh, last week FBI agents seized Mayor Eric Adams' electronic devices in what appeared to be a dramatic escalation of a criminal inquiry into whether his 2021 campaign conspired with the Turkish government and others to funnel money into its coffers. The agents approached the mayor after an event in Manhattan on Monday evening and asked a security detail to step away, a person with knowledge of the matter said. They climbed into his SUV with him and, pursuant to a court-authorized warrant, took his devices. Now, the devices, which are at least two cell phones and an iPad, were returned to the mayor within a matter of days. Law enforcement investigators with a search warrant can make copies of the data on devices after they seize them. Huh. I mean, I always carry multiple cell phones and an iPad, at least, around with me everywhere I go. But, Pete, remind us, uh, if you have a warrant to seize a device like a phone or an iPad, doesn't that mean there's probable cause uh, of evidence of a crime on those devices? Yes, indeed it does. And it means it's there now. It, it cannot mean, well, it may mean in the past there was they were used in uh, the conduct of a crime or there's evidence there. But you have to show to the magistrate, to the judge that there is problem cause to believe that there is evidence of the crime right then and there. So at this moment, it isn't something where you can go and say, hey, there's this email back in the, you know, the early spring of 2021. And, you know, we think it still might be there. You've got to sh have a showing that it is present now. Now, given the fact of the publicity about a search of one of his campaign fundraisers, which I'll, I'll talk about here in a little bit, it seems to me that, that that became very public and he was aware of it. So if you have probable cause to seize something, you tend to want to do it all at once because otherwise you're going to tip off somebody and they have the chance to potentially go in and delete things. So a couple of things are happening potentially. One, I think, is that in the context of this earlier search, which again, I'll talk about here in a second, going through that information, the FBI found communications or other detail, other facts that allowed them to say, hey, look, you know, after reviewing this stuff we seized earlier, we think that Eric Adams and his devices, that they may contain evidence of a crime. It may also be that, you know, you're shoring up that evidence, but you're also waiting to see that uh, Mayor Adams becomes aware of the search warrant and the investigative activity, and then he makes calls. He sends emails. He sends texts. He sends signal messages after he becomes aware of it. And so if you go in after that happens and seize those devices, sometimes you can see how a person responded. You know, do they call somebody and, you know, try to coordinate a story or do they drain a bank account or do they tell somebody to get rid of something? So a lot of things can be present on a device after a subject becomes aware that there's an investigation going on. But talking about that. So let me ask you another question. Yeah. Because, you know, we had talked about on this bonus episode for patrons over the weekend that after they raided Ms. Suggs, who's a fundraiser, immediately Eric Adams stopped what he was doing, came back down to D.C. And you're going to talk about that in a second. But there was also a wellness check done by the NYPD sent out by the IAB. Could... This also be perhaps seizing his devices on new evidence of potential obstruction of justice, like trying to get people out to her house to warn her. I mean, that's all speculative, but it doesn't have to be the turkey stuff or, or what you're soon going to discuss, which is the, you know, the firehouse stuff or some other things that favors he may have done for, for turkey. 
but could, it could also be new evidence of obstruction. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. We don't know what it is. And what is interesting is, unlike uh, his fundraiser who had both devices seized, but also a house searched, there's no indication that Eric Adams had any of his physical property other than, you know, the seizure of his phones and iPad. You know, there was not a search warrant. Uh, executed at his, you know, the mayor's office or, you know, Gracie Mansion or any uh, place, a, a physical residence. So, and then a final point is the only reason we know about this presumably is either Eric Adams and or his attorneys or somebody around him provided that information and discussed it. So this is, it, it is possible there are other things that have gone on that either Adams and his team have chosen not to talk about with the press or indeed other things that may have gone on that are sealed that even Eric Adams doesn't know uh, that they've occurred. So I'd be very surprised if prior to the search warrant, there weren't a number of subpoenas that have been issued for, you know, any number of things that you can obtain information wise. But that whole, there, there is so much there. You're absolutely right. This this wellness check that went on the literally late at night, immediately before the early morning search warrant against Suggs is just, it, 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 I have never heard of that happening. I've never seen in my experience something like that no, happening. No, Pete, it happens all the time. We mm. do it all the time. Mm. Whenever mm-hmm. FBI works with local law enforcement, that they're going to do a surprise search at somebody's house. Just go check, you know, they just check let in it the be, night yeah. before. 11 o'clock. Hey, yeah. everything okay? Y'all all right? Okay, good. Y'all all right? Good. Hey, good. thanks. Might nope. want to put that uh, nope. device away and maybe your bong, you know, like, well, I don't understand. I don't understand. It, no. And, and right, particularly for somebody who probably maybe has never had any visit by the police at the resident. I mean, how, how many among us, you know... <laughs> Have the police roll up uh, as a matter of sort of routine at, you know, 1130 at night. Hey, Allison, how you doing? Good, good. They like okay. to come check on me, sure. you know, make sure I'm doing okay. Yeah, absolutely. Especially after I delete evidence. So I, you're right. <laughs> I think there's, whatever this relates to, there's so much, you know, and what's interesting, so let's back up a little bit. So back on November 2nd, FBI agents searched the home of the mayor's chief fundraiser. And at that search, back on November 2nd, seized two laptop computers, three iPhones, and a manila folder labeled Eric Adams. Now, Adams responded well, to I news. have one of those. I don't we all have one of those? My Eric Adams manila folder. <laughs> and so Adams, of course, responded, he was in D.C. He was due to go to the White House for a meeting. And nevertheless, he's like, you know what? <laughs> I, I'm going to blow off this meeting at the White House. I need to return right away up to New York. And he he notionally said, well, I, I, I'm concerned about Ms. Suggs. And he said she'd gone through a, what he termed a traumatic experience. Now, the warrant obtained by the FBI to search Suggs' home sought evidence of a conspiracy to violate campaign finance law between members of Mr. Adams' campaign, the Turkish government or Turkish nationals and a Brooklyn-based construction company, KSK Construction, whose owners are originally from Turkey. Now, the warrant also sought records about donations from Bay Atlantic University, which I'm sure everybody here is well (laughs) very familiar with. I found out last week, as this happened, is a Washington, D.C. college whose founder is Turkish, and that Bay Atlantic University is affiliated with a school that Adams visited when he went to Turkey as a Brooklyn borough president in 2015. Now, the warrant, which was reviewed by the New York Times, indicated authorities were looking at whether the Turkish government or Turkish nationals funneled donations to Mr. Adams using so-called straw donors, people who didn't actually donate to his campaign, but their their identities were used to funnel the money of others into uh, his campaign to get around any, you know, campaign finance regulations and laws. Now, the question is- now there's is, even more, right? We're right. Now, even and now even today, like literally th- this morning as we're taping, you're, 
to all of you asking, well, what was in it for Turkey? Well, interestingly enough, you know, is this, you know, this is getting bigger and bigger, not smaller and smaller. The New York Times reported today that what it looks like is the FBI, along with the SDNY, the Southern District of New York, um, the U.S. Attorney's Office up in, uh, in Manhattan, have been investigating whether or not Adams put pressure on the New York Fire Department to sign off on the opening of a Turkish-built, uh, not a, a high-rise, not a skyscraper, very close to the United Nations. And the allegations, what it looks like according to the New York Times reporting, is that this building, which had uh, was had been constructed using Turkish money, that they wanted it open in time for an Erdogan visit to the UN so he could go visit it. The fire, the FDNY was saying, no, you know, there are too many uh, code violations. We aren't going to open it. And the allegations are that Adams was pressuring them to do so so that Erdogan could come in and, you know, cut, you know, have some ribbon cutting ceremony or, you know, get the publicity from it. So what's also interesting is, according to the New York Times reporting, the FBI interviewed at least one, possibly several, uh, New York Fire Department officials months ago, and none of that leaked. You know, the right. first we're hearing about it was, you know, the Suggs search warrant last week. So there's a lot there. And what's becoming clear is like, one, not only this foreign uh, connection, but starting to get an understanding of what the deal was, why they might have, you know, one, when, if they were giving these uh, illicit donations through straw donors, what the types of things were allegedly that they might have been getting in response, specifically allegedly Adams strong-arming New York's fire department to sign off on unsafe buildings uh, to to for the for the benefit of you know a Erdogan PR event not only that but in the you know in the previous New York Times reporting about the search of Miss Sugg's home that warrant mentioned Brooklyn-based construction company KSK construction whose original who whose original owners are from Turkey so maybe Maybe this has something to do with getting contracts for your Turkish buddies to build stuff. Um, so, Because I was wondering why there was a construction company in there. I, all the rest of it made sense when you were talking about a straw donor scheme. But I was like, why a construction company? Maybe it has something to do with this fire, uh, this building, um, the fire department building. Yep. And again, we don't, we, we have only a very limited window into what the New York Times is reporting. A lot of what they're reporting is based on what Suggs and Adams's camp are sharing with them. Uh, you know, I don't, DOJ, I'm fairly confident in the FBI are not leaking, not providing information. So it may well be that there's a lot more to what they're looking at. And we just, we just see the things that pop into the public's view. And again, keep in mind, Adams, according to the New York Times reporting, visited Turkey in 2015 when he was a Brooklyn borough president. So this this relationship is easily, you know, eight plus years old. I would not be surprised at all if the 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 sort of expanse of, you know, potential illegal activity or foreign influence type activity is much broader than these things we have uh, visibility into now. But stuff is coming out. People are starting to talk and, you know, like most things. Yeah, you know, you, people you start getting talky when, and, right. when indictments start happening. That's what, <laughs> that's what happens. There's no need to bring this out into the public and do what I call lube the truth or, you know, smoke it out uh, to, to make the landing a little bit easier when shit hits the fan. Uh, there's no reason to talk about this with the press if it's, you know, if you don't expect anything adverse to happen to you uh, about it. I mean, we, you, we've seen it time and time again. As soon as people are about to be indicted or, or brought in as witnesses, they start 
kind of feeding their narrative out to the press uh, in order to to create a, a, a little bit of a softer landing space for when uh, for when the bomb drops. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is just getting started. I, you know, typically these are the last steps. I mean, you you work your way up. You know, Adams is at the top of where you would want to go investigatively. The last thing you tend to do is uh, what are called overt or alerting investigative techniques. You know, when you you can subpoena bank records or you know telephone records and get those fairly quietly without alerting somebody. But when you show up and you start executing search warrants, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, the cat's out of the bag. So th- those are typically the last things. You've done everything you can in a quiet way, and now you're like, "All right, now we got to go do the things that are going to make some noise." And it's yeah. And he was wearing pants. Democrats yeah. wear pants yeah. when search warrants are executed. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. After this brief break, we're going to stay in New York City. We're going to discuss the latest in the New York Attorney General's two hundred and fifty million dollars civil fraud trial. So stick around. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. We have more new patrons to thank. A Man in a Batsuit, Kai Mahler, Lowell Gilbertson, Samantha Lincoln, Kimberly Haskins, Mare Dell, Elizabeth Bluestein, Cassandra, Princess of Doom, Minnow nice. and Blossom. When the fuck will this shit be over? <laughs> I, I, never. I, I wish I knew. I, I wish I could answer over. that question. <laughs> Deborah Kirby, Alicia, Saul T. Wang, Mr. Pudding, Catherine Desavedo, Anita, Lori Vancura, O.T. is Life, Ruth Ann Schallert Weigel, and William W. Brown. My apologies if I butchered anybody's name, but again, thank all of you uh, for being part of the team. We simply couldn't put this together uh, every week in the bonus episodes without your support, and it just means an extraordinary amount. And uh, you know, just thank you, thank you from from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, you you truly make this all possible. Yeah, and and Salty Wang, I see you. Thank you. I've been waiting for a uh, a Bart Simpson style call out, so I appreciate that. Next, on to the New York Attorney General civil fraud trial. Some highlights. When we last spoke, Trump Sr. had finished his testimony by saying he was too busy being president in 2021 to pay Mm. attention to his business. Mm. Uh, Then he was reminded he was not president in 2021. Uh, Since then, Ivanka has given her testimony. A couple other things went down. But with Ivanka, she was very soft-spoken. She had to be told to speak up a few times. She mostly didn't recall anything. And I know a lot of people were frustrated by that. But it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, it is not relevant uh, for her purposes in that courtroom. So first, we know we learned Ivanka met with Rosemary Vrablick at Deutsche Bank and was able to secure some really low interest rate loans, well below the market, uh, the going market rate. And in exchange for those very low rates, Deutsche Bank required Donald Trump to sign a personal guarantee that he could cover the principal of the loan as well as all the operating income on the properties that he was taking a loan out on. And they wanted him to attest that he had a minimum net worth of $2.5 billion. Well, Ivanka emailed a Trump organization lawyer and they acknowledged to each other back and forth in this email that that's going to be a problem. A $2.5 billion net worth, that's going to be a problem. Now, regardless, Donald Trump told Deutsche Bank that not only was he worth $2.5 billion, he was worth $4 billion, $4 billion. But it doesn't make a difference if Ivanka can't recall any of this. What matters is that by getting her on the stand, 
she becomes a vehicle for the attorney general to introduce these documents, these emails, acknowledging that it's going to be hard to, to prove that he's worth $2.5 billion. She becomes a vehicle to introduce those documents into evidence. That's what matters because this is a documents case. So regardless if that's kind of why all of these uh, all these kids are, are being brought up is to just be able to get their documents, the shit they signed, the emails they sent into evidence. So I'm I'm glad that they're doing this because, you know, I mean, open and shut. The judge has already said fraud has existed they just have to prove it and and deter or prove you know prove the disgorgement how much it's going to cost the other six counts are they going to have a receiver are they going to d- dissolve their businesses are they going to be allowed to operate businesses in new york for how long etc cetera, etc cetera. and so just to be able to get these documents in because this case is going to rely on the documents there's no jury here that is why they're on the stand right and some of it you're absolutely right i mean there, there's whatever sort of attempt to sway opinion is not going to work with the judge. There's obviously the public uh, angle of this, that a lot of this is being done for public perception outside of the courtroom. But, you know, that that speaking of speaking of witnesses, the same day after Ivanka was done, the attorney general's office asked Judge Engerin to block former President Trump's lawyers from calling four expert witnesses when they began mounting their defense, which is now underway. In a five-page motion, the state argued that the witnesses, Stephen LaPosa, Jason Flemons, Steve Whitkoff, and David Miller, are what they called, quote-unquote, irrelevant and should be barred on various grounds. According to the AG's motion, three of them, LaPosa, Flemons, and Whitkoff, no longer need to be called in the wake of Manhattan Supreme Court Justice uh, Ingram's ruling, finding that Trump was liable for fraud before the trial began. Now, the four of them, why that's important? Because the defense lawyers submitted a list with 127 potential witnesses. <laughs> Though that number is likely to dwindle as the trial proceeds into the beginning of the holiday season and an expected end date around mid-December, so not for another month. We'll see if the you know defense, in fact, uh, is able, if uh, Judge Ingram allows them to call that many witnesses to take a whole nother month. But it's underway, and the defense began their case on Monday with Donald Trump Jr., Yes. And Donald Trump Jr. just is basically going through how amazing and brilliant all the properties are and how, you know, I mean, just like he's acting like there's a jury and there's not. But, you know, whatever. Uh, So far, Judge Engeron has not stopped, uh, stopped it. Um, But uh, they're getting through about a witness a day, at least the prosecution was. So I figure they've got 30 Maybe they could get 25, 30 witnesses in, but they might not even get that many. Uh, And who knows what's going to happen. We'll see. We'll we'll fill you in because, you know, we record this on Monday and and, uh, Junior just took the stand. So we'll talk more about this uh, on the next uh, full episode about what happens with the defense. Um, Also, one other fun thing that happened just this past week uh, that I wanted to share because we all need a good laugh. When Ivanka was on the stand, the prosecutor showed Ivanka an email from her to Alan Weisselberg and other Trump org executives from December 15th, 2011. And the email said, it doesn't get better than this. Let's discuss ASAP. Um, Probably referring to the interest rate that Deutsche Bank and Rosemary Vrablick was going to give them. Well, Alina Hubba objected to the email. She said it was never sent. I object. And uh, the New York prosecutors contradicted that, saying it was sent. Here's the date. But then Prosecutor Kevin Wallace stepped up and said, "Uh, 
first of all, you're, by the way, this is a real email, but this is your own document. You're objecting to your own evidence. <laughs> just, so she like that, that's why you're the judge and I'm the law talking guy. Alina Hutz is like Lionel Hutz. We're going to call her Alina Hutz. She's, you know, the, the Simpsons attorney who's just, you know, horrible, horrible. Like, come on. Come on. Yeah. And, and we need more time. We need more time. Well, then why did you go to the UFC fight and have a fuck Joe Biden necklace? And a, and a MAGA clutch, a bejeweled a MAGA, MAGA clutch. clutch. Good God. Mm-hmm. Just, just mm-hmm. you know, the things you find when you go shake a uh, parking lot, you know, legal <sighs> office and the things that fall Well, they're out. very busy. He's very busy running for president, very busy with all of his things, but they're going to go to UFC. And, and it seems like... Uh, Junior and Habba were a little closer than, like, close Ugh. enough to make me throw up in my mouth a little oh, bit. Oh, so. no. <laughs> yeah, and then there's going to, well, God knows what happens with uh, Kim Kim if all that goes down. But, uh, no. Did they break up? I don't know. I don't they? know the I don't, palace she's intrigue. still I don't know. screaming on her podcast, so I don't, I have no idea what is going on. Yeah, no, me neither. But um, we're going to keep an eye on this trial because... You know, the the projected end date, like you said, I think is December 20th or something like that, um, sometime around there. And in other filings, like in D.C. and the federal criminal investigations against him, this is a civil trial, but in his criminal investigations, he keeps arguing that he needs more time because his lawyers are overwhelmed with all of my other crimes and fraud. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, it's just and, you know. He's using these judges against each other. He tries to get things scheduled for the same time so he can delay them both. He got caught doing it back in March by E. Jean Carroll's attorney. He was trying to play the Judge Angeron and the judge in the pyramid scheme case. Every, you know, every, that one kind of gets swept under the rug, but he's also going to trial in February, end of January for this apprentice pyramid scheme defraud thing. His trial schedule, and I will say it's going to be difficult or at least there's going to be some acrobatics in trying to get out all these things scheduled in a timely manner. But right now, in my mind, number one most important is the March 4th D.C. trial date, uh, which, you know, and I, we don't really talk too much because we, we go over this on the Jack podcast. But I thought it was really uh, pretty amazing what um, Jack Smith said that he was going to prove at trial that Donald Trump caused the insurrection. And the riot is a central focus of the prosecution. And he's going to prove that basically because Trump wants that language stricken from the indictment. But I got to speak to Harry Dunn on the Daily Beans yesterday. Oh, nice. Because, you know, Harry, Harry Dunn was the one who was like, man, you send a hitman, but you also got to get the guy who sent the hitman. You know, you got to go after the guy who sent the hitman, not just the hitman. And to see Jack Smith say in plain language, he did this. He sent the mob. He knew they were angry and violent. We're going to prove that at trial, and it's central to our case. I thought um, was kind of, that's who I was thinking of. I was thinking of the officers and the congressional representatives and the senators who who were in danger that day, and some who lost their lives. So uh, Trump's going to continue this delay thing. He's going to keep trying to say that all of these uh, trials, civil and criminal, uh, need to be used against each other to push back trial dates. So we'll see where we end up, but it's going to be a packed schedule in 2024. Yeah, and keep in mind, all of these 
legal proceedings are getting paid for by the various Magellan donors who are scraping the bottom of their pockets to give a penny, a nickel, a dime, a $10 bill here and there so they can uh, get his legal process in all these different venues. Did you see the tweet I tagged you in today? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. I've, I've actually been off of Twitter today. It's, it's stunning. At the oh. end of um, one of his emails, he says, I know you're broke because of Joe Biden, but still you need to send me money. That's that's his new pitch. Unbelievable, right? I, it, come on. Yes. And, and the sad thing is, as we have said before, the people who are going to do that are among the people least able to do that, who are probably not in a position to have an abundance of affluence and wealth and will sit there and, you know, wittingly or unwittingly neglect to uncheck the, yes, please make this a weekly or a monthly donation and will continue to have their credit cards getting tagged for five or $10 a month until, you know, the they die because even if Trump is gone, I'm certain they've got it set up to keep siphoning whatever last penny they can from every person out there willing to click donate. It, it's horrible. I, it just is terrible. And every time, look, every time he goes to you know his plane to fly down to Georgia or to fly up to New York or fly to D.C. or wherever the case may be, that Secret Service protection, the law enforcement protection that gets him to and from those various courthouses, all paid by you and me taxpayer foot in the bill for all of that. So as you look at, you know, the various photographs that he always gets around, you know, the Trump aircraft with the law enforcement motorcade, all that effort, we're foot in the bill. Yep. And uh, we will continue to do so. Um, so yeah, with a, the to the patron who signed up is when the fuck is all of this going to end? Very good question. Um, not soon enough. All right, um, it's time to make fun of the House of Representatives, the Republicans specifically, but we need to take a quick break, so everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, welcome back. All right, a few more amazing patrons to thank. And again, thanks to all the patrons who came to our Zoom happy hour this Friday. Me and Pete uh, answered so many great, outstanding, thoughtful questions. We really appreciate you. We enjoyed cocktails and mocktails, and you got to see Pete's swearing jacket. It was quite fun. Uh, so thank you for that. And thanks to these new patrons, Leslie Stevens. I agree with that 100%. Fingers, Nancy Belanger or Ballinger. Suzanne, Allison, Pete, and Andy are my fantasy justice team. Krista Ledman, Julius Parashi, Michelle Dayton, Teresa Byrne, Owen Trotter, Judith Strunk, Rachel Pizarro, Jennifer Mason, Edson, all hail Allison and Andrew, Shouse. I, th I think maybe he meant Pete, but <laughs> all hail Allison and Andrew. Fuck Pete. <laughs> Could be Candy. Diana's Candy, Andrew. I don't know. It's all right. It's fine. <laughs> Diana Solarski, uh, Army and Arm, Amy and Bonnie the Red Dachshund. Awesome. Heather Shireshire Ball. Andy Hawkins and Christine Solberg. And I'm sorry if I mispronounced any of your names. Again, thank you so much. If you want to join us, if you want to join Team Justice, you do that at patreon.com slash aisle45pod. We appreciate you. Yeah, thanks to all of you. So with that, let's head to the House here in Washington, <laughs> D.C., where Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, is preparing the same continuing resolution that got McCarthy ousted as Speaker. As a shutdown will be just three days away by the time this episode airs. What is good old James Comer up to while this is going on? He subpoenaed Jim, the president's brother, Jim Biden, and Hunter Biden as well. He wants answers. 
about the $200,000 loan between the president and his brother. Meanwhile, meanwhile, as it turns out, that magic number of 200000 we got a story from Roger Sollenberger at the Daily Beast, which says, turns out, while Comer's been trying to make hay out of two personal loan repayments from James Biden to his brother for $40,000 and $200,000, keep in mind, all transactions occurring in 2017 and 2018 when Joe Biden was not in office, nor was he a candidate. While all this is going on, if Comer genuinely believes that these transactions clear the, quote, shady business practices, unquote, bar, well, he might want to consider a parallel inquiry into his own family. As it turns out, According to Kentucky property records, Comer and his own brother have engaged in land swaps related to their family farming business. And now in one deal, shockingly enough, also involving $200,000 as well as the shell company, the more powerful and influential Comer channeled extra money to his brother seemingly from nothing. Other recent land swaps were quickly followed with new applications for special tax breaks, according to state records. All of this perplexingly related to the dealings of a family company that appears, guess what? Never to have existed on paper. No incorporation records for it mm. at all anywhere. Now, <laughs> unlike with the Bidens, Comer's own history actually borders a conflict of interest between his official government role and his private family business, and it's been going on for decades. Keep in mind, Comer's held important positions on the Agricultural Oversight Committee going back to 2003, while he was running a family farming business, and those roles overlapped in 2019, the year of the land swaps. On July 8th, Chad Comer bought out his brother's- Of course his name's Chad. Chad. Of course it is. (laughs) Bought out his brother's half of a piece of inherited Kentucky property, paying $100,000, according to deed records in Monroe County. Now, five months later, James and his wife, Tamara T.J. Comer, bought the property out in full, this time paying Chad Comer $218,000. The buyout netted Chad Comer an unexplained $18,000 above the total value in July. It gets complicated, so bear with me. That purchase, though, had a third party in addition to James and his wife, T.J., their own shell company called Farm Team Properties, LLC. Comer's financial disclosure that year describes Farm Team Properties, LLC, as, quote, a land management and real estate speculation company with a range of value between $200,000 and $500,000. In two years, its value increased up to the $500,000 to $1 million range. On another swap, this one in April 2019, James Comer gifted his brother via a $1 transaction his share of two inherited tracts in Clay County, Tennessee, with a share value being $175,000, according to the deed of sale. The same day that James Comer gave his brother that land, Chad, the brother, reciprocated with an apparently more valuable piece of property in Macon County, Tennessee, except James Comer didn't disclose that value in the sale at all. So instead... This is old school right here, for those of you who uh, will see who remembers this. Comer appears to have whited that number out. White out, the little, you know, bottle with a little brush and you can like put the little white cover up. You know, it doesn't, I didn't know that existed anymore because everything's digital. Anyway, but not James Comer whited that number out, writing exempt in its place on the deed and then signing below. However, the land's value can still be ascertained from the deed history in Macon County, where records show that their father had originally purchased the tract for two hundred three for two hundred three thousand dollars in two thousand fifteen. What that means is, while Comer appears to have netted a value of roughly thirty thousand dollars in the swap, he did not put that 
in the public record. Allison, it it's always projection. It's always projection. Every <laughs> single goddamn thing that they accuse somebody of doing, they are doing themselves. It it, it is stunning, and like without exception, <laughs> every single time, and like the same amount, same two hundred thousand dollars. Are you kidding me? And then if you add the thirty thousand and the fifteen, eighteen thousand, that's like two hundred forty thousand, which is exactly what the Bidens lent each other. <laughs> and the other thing is like when you, when you sit and you try and follow like whatever comes out of James Comer or Jim Jordan's mouth and they've got this convoluted like Rube Goldberg device of like the, you know, the mousetrap that has the ball that goes down the ramp that hits the domino that strikes the match that day you, and you can't follow it. It's because they do that crap in their own lives, trying to follow like, you know, what Chad and James did with the father's land and whiting out. I mean, it's it's the most convoluted process for some sort of shady nickel dime, you know, transaction going on here. Again, all the biggest point being a lot of this occurring at the time. Comer was engaged in ag oversight while he's on the House. So to the extent that there are laws being written, uh, laws not being written, talking about everything from taxation on agricultural properties to subsidies to anything else, it's clear that this, you know, heavy involvement, you know, potentially creates the appearance of a conflict. Yeah, absolutely. Every accusation is a confession, these folks. Um, all right, so something I've been dying to talk to you about, Pete, <laughs> because this is so funny. You mentioned Comer has subpoenaed Jim Biden and Hunter Biden, right? Well, he sent Rep. Greg Murphy, a Republican from the House, onto CNN to talk about it, to throw out his talking points, right? <laughs> so the anchor asked him, if Jim Biden and Hunter Biden fail to appear pursuant to your subpoenas, would you vote to hold them in contempt? And Greg Murphy said, absolutely. I mean, why would the Bidens create 20 shell companies unless there was something illegal going on? Which is extra funny after we found out that Comer has a shell company. And CNN didn't bring up Trump's 500 or so shell companies in this question. But the, the anchor did ask Representative Murphy, why have you changed your position on contempt of Congress? Why would you vote to hold them in contempt of Congress? Because you voted against holding Steve Bannon in contempt of Congress when he failed to appear before the January 6th committee. And Rep. Murphy said, well, it's different with Bannon because you have someone there that's not an elected official. And we all know the president, Joe Biden, was peddling influence. He was selling influence. And CNN says, well, we're talking about the, the subpoenas here, not the influence peddling, right? So why did you change your position? On ba why did you vote no on Bannon, but you would vote yes here? And and Murphy says, well, tell me what office, tell me what public office Bannon was in. And CNN says, well, tell us what public office Jim Biden and Hunter Biden are in, because that's who you're subpoenaing. And he just kind of, ba -ba 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 -ba. Uh, but the, he kind of keeps going. And he said, I'm not talking about Hunter mm. Biden. I'm talking about the president of the United States. Mm. <laughs> CNN tries to explain again that they didn't subpoena the president of the United States. They subpoenaed Hunter and Jim. And I asked if you would go, if you were going to hold them in contempt. And Murphy just pivots. Well, think about this. We have facts that have occurred that there's been influence peddling. 
And then he pivots again to the old Shokin conspiracy theory. When he was vice president, he tried to get Shokin fired. It's just a fucking train wreck. And I, I, I'm wondering, I mean, maybe we could put Shokin in charge of investigating Comer's farmland swaps. I mean, like, it's just the most ridiculous. And he, he was just not ready. It was so sad. Uh, but also I laughed. Yeah, well, exactly. And what was that conversation with Comer? Like with him, hey, I need you to go on CNN and do me a favor, dumb it down and like say just in non-defensible, non-sequitur. Influence peddling. Complete illogically, you know, illogical statements and try and maintain a straight face as you do it. And then go in and Shokin and Jimmy Hoffa and Lindbergh kidnapping. And it's just all the... <laughs> yeah, see? It's, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> just... Just <laughs> pathetic. And again, this is the result of when people But the escape, best was when he was just so confidently and cockily, tell me what public office Bannon held. And, and CNN's like, well, tell us what public office Jim Biden held. It's just like, fuck. Every single time people escape the Breitbart Tucker Carlson right wing echo chamber and actually talk to people who are the slightest bit informed, they just implode because they are so unused to dealing with logic and facts. And I, I swear that is part of what it is, that time and time again, you get all these different people who show up and make complete fools of themselves facing questioning because they just aren't in the habit of going out and having, you know, discussions with people who are informed and have the ability to apply logic to a fact pattern. Which is what happened well, here. Implode. Implode is the secret word. Say the secret word. Win $100. Um, <laughs> something else is imploding. Sounds like the uh, impeachment is going nowhere. What's going on with that? Yeah. So the, the Washington Post is reporting that during the 22-day fight to fill the Post of House Speaker, the Republican-led impeachment inquiry against, against President Biden sadly gathered dust on the sidelines. In a closed-door meeting with House GOP moderates this week, Speaker Mike Johnson indicated that there is insufficient evidence at the moment to initiate formal impeachment proceedings, according to people who attended the meeting. So, hey, maybe maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene, she was complaining about it. Maybe she can seize the moment and start the process to remove Speaker Johnson because he doesn't sound like he is in the mood so, yeah. or at the point where he's willing to start impeachment proceedings. Just so horribly embarrassing. What are you going to do now? What you going to do now? Their, no, their new Speaker of the House says there's not enough evidence to start impeaching President Biden. He's going to put through a clean resolution, a CR, continuing resolution. Uh, he might ladder it in two steps, but I mean, so this is all exactly the same shit McCarthy did. So all of the... All of the people who were like, don't you feel stupid now, Democrats, for getting rid of McCarthy? No, no, we don't. Thank you, though. Thank you for playing. Um, it's just a clown show, and it's embarrassing. And, you know, again, I've said this so many times. We sit here and we laugh about this because it's laughable. But it is also just so embarrassing globally to other leaders. Nationally, our, our, I think Moody's downgraded us. Uh, because of this BS that's going on in the House, it negatively impacts us, our image, our credit rating around the world. It's embarrassing to the to the to the chamber itself, the seat of democracy, to the Capitol. I mean, it's just so embarrassing, and um, I can't wait until I can't wait until we get the House back. Is all I'm saying. 
Yeah, well, we'll 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 see. It may be a, a long, long. What do we got now? Thirteen months, right? We'll see. Yeah, about that. About that. All right, we have some uh, breaking news just came across my desk, and we're going to get to that uh, and a couple other stories right after this break. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, welcome back. All right, time to thank our Hall of Famers. These are folks at 10 bucks an episode or higher. You absolutely are amazing. Thank you so much for your incredible support throughout the years. And here they are. Please don't read this on the pod. We don't need a call out. Thanks for what you do. I still I can't tell if I'm supposed to read that or not. <laughs> uh, insert witty name here. A dinosaur in dental school. Adam Rickover's spinning corpse. Thank you. Call out to the Navy nukes. David in Brooklyn. Hi, David. Greg Kreimer. I've updated my shout out name to this. I like it. January 20, baby. Me too. Lance Buckley. And I'm fast at sex and shame on you for your potty mouth last week. Ah, okay. So we're going to keep changing the names. I like it. Thank you very much. Um, Before we get to uh, what was originally um, in the script here and our bullet points, Pete, I had some breaking news come over the wire here. This is from ABC. Breaking exclusive as part of a plea deal, one of former President Trump's attorneys has told prosecutors in Georgia that she was informed in the wake of the 2020 election that Donald Trump was not going to leave the White House, despite the fact that he had already lost the election and most of his court challenges. The revelation, along with others, came during a confidential interview with the attorney Jenna Ellis, Mm. the one she had with Fulton County investigators. ABC News has obtained portions of these videos of the proffer sessions of both Ellis and Sidney Powell two attorneys who aided Trump's efforts to overturn the election. The videos, for the first time, reveal details of what they have told law enforcement since agreeing to cooperate last month. Um, Ellis, in her proffer session, informed prosecutors that senior Trump White House official Dan Scavino Mm. told her the boss would refuse to leave the White House despite losing the election and alluded to two other instances she said were relevant to prosecutors, but appeared to be prevented from disclosing those in the video portions obtained by ABC due to attorney-client privilege, which hindered portions of her proffer. Now, Powell explained to prosecutors her plans for seizing voting machines nationwide, nationwide, and claimed that she frequently communicated with Trump during her efforts to overturn the 2020 election, though both now claim she was never his attorney. (laughs) Um, Powell reiterated the false assertion that Trump won the election, but acknowledged in the video that she didn't know much about election law to begin with. Um, We're going to go deeper into this story as it develops, as you're probably going to see it quite a bit uh, over the ensuing days, probably starting the day before this episode drops. But I wanted to get that out there and uh, give you the heads up that that's what we uh, can expect and what we will probably be covering uh, more robustly on next week's episode. Uh, so that there it is. What do you think? Don is going to wish he paid for Jenna's legal fees. I tell you what, that's uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> what's interesting too is like clearly a lot of this is directly relevant to Jack Smith and the federal case. A lot of it, to the extent it implicates statements of others like Scavino, is relevant to Jack Smith. And so right, and that mention of the nationwide. Right. right. I was like, oh, bing, bing, my Jack Smith alarm went off. Right. But yet I am still, in fact, crazy Sidney Powell. And I believe that, you know, there was all these, you know, crazy things. But I but I don't know much about election law. So I, it is, again, to the point of- You'll see my sanctions in Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we say a lot, you know, we only have a small window into what Jack Smith knows. In fact, you know, and probably a lot of the things that, you know, Fulton County and Fonnie Willis and her folks know that these were- 
information that came out during these proffer sessions that were taped and were part of, you know, form part of the uh, plea agreement that they would testify to these things. So it's, it's tremendously helpful in Fulton County, but it's also pretty darn helpful in, uh, from a federal perspective too, that, you know, if Trump was, it was well known that he wasn't leaving. Well, that's great. Let's lock those people in, in the grand jury and may well have already locked in those statements in the grand jury, you know, whatever Scavino testified to up in DC, you know, those things are all on the record now. So when you have people who are corroborating statements, that's why, you know, if you went in and lied to the grand jury, you can, you know, get found out. So my assumption is for the most part, people have gone in and been truthful and there's a lot of information in the hands of the special counsel along mm-hmm. the lines of things like this that we just have no idea about yet. Yeah. I mean, that you had plans to not leave the White House. I mean, that's some pretty intense evidence toward intent, um, especially when you re- when you think about that Jack Smith filing where he says, look, he he sent the angry rioters to the Capitol with the intent of obstructing the electoral count. Uh, you know, if if you've got somebody saying he was never going to leave and he told me that, I mean, that, you know, when Jack Smith says, I'm going to prove the intent there, that could be part of it. Those kinds of, of, of uh, testimonies could be part of that case. So really explosive stories. We'll cover them more in depth, uh, as I said, but um, we do have a, a few more stories here to get to. Yeah, so let's let's bounce back to Hunter Biden. Uh, Hunter Biden is suing former Overstock CEO Patrick Byrne for defamation, accusing the former retail industry executive and uh, Maria Butina associate of falsely claiming that he sought a bribe from Iran. Biden claims Byrne made false statements in June when he claimed Biden had contacted the Iranian government and offered to have his father unfreeze $8 billion in Iranian funds in exchange for an $800 million bribe. The complaint claims Byrne reposted his allegations in October on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter, to his roughly 290,000 followers. Quote, these claims- Sad. Sad. My followers are much bigger, much huger. They come to me with tears in their eyes. 290,000 sad. (laughs) These claims are complete nonsense, the suit alleges. Quote, to falsely accuse Hunter Biden of engaging in these criminal acts is not only reckless and baseless, but utterly outrageous and despicable, and it constitutes defamation per se. The complaint alleges that Byrne, quote, has been told that his allegations are false, that they are causing serious harm to Biden, and that they should be retracted immediately. Rather than retract, however, Byrne has doubled down, unquote. The lawsuit seeks general and punitive damages as well as for Byrne to cover Biden's attorney's fees and costs. Which is great. Good. Patrick Byrne has danced on the defamation line for so long. I'm mm. glad. I'm very glad that Hunter Biden has brought this case, and I wish him Godspeed and success. Uh, you know, identify. I think, you know, Patrick Byrne kind of got shooed away from Overstock. I do think he has more money left than, uh, say, Mike Lindell, the lumpy pillow guy does. But, you know, whatever's there, I hope. Don't you call my pillows lumpy. Do not call my <laughs> pillow. Don't you do that. You can seize my phone at a Hardee's, but you will never call my pillows lumpy. You hear Red me? in the face and shaky <sighs> talking about my... What a great guy to depot. Yeah. Mm. Super friendly. Uh, Also, another story, Minnesota Supreme Court on Wednesday rejected an attempt to keep Donald Trump from the state's GOP primary ballot 
based on the 14th Amendment's uh, Section 3, an insurrection ban, but said the challengers can try again to block him from the general ballot, the general election ballot, if the former president wins the Republican nomination. So the court explains, everybody kind of freaked out about this. It's just not ripe yet. The court explained that an individual party's nominating process is not subject to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. It's not the place to invoke this. Uh, so it's just not ripe yet. So it was dismissed without prejudice. Uh, and they, you know, try again for the general election ballot because individual parties nominating processes are kind of a private thing, not like private, but, you know, they they they're up to the party. Uh, they are basically saying Section three of the 14th Amendment would apply only to the general election ballot. So we'll keep an eye on it. I'm assuming it will be refiled uh, when it is ripe. Yeah. And then talking about uh, dismissed motions, let's go to the one man walking dismissed motion, Jeffrey Clark. Former DOJ attorney Jeff Clark will face disciplinary proceedings beginning in January 2024 over his efforts to help Donald Trump overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. The board overseeing his professional misconduct case ruled Tuesday. The D.C. Bar of Disciplinary Council filed ethics charges against Clark way back in July 2022. Those proceedings had been paused for several months. Clark motioned to have the case against him removed to a federal court in October of 2022. And then a federal judge denied that request this June in a lengthy opinion that found federal courts have no jurisdiction over attorney licensing disputes. The specific... Yeah, so sad. The specification of charges said that Clark violated D.C. Rules of Professional Conduct 8.4 A and C which are, quote, in that respondent attempted to engage in conduct involving dishonesty by sending the proof of concept letter containing false statements, unquote. And rules 8.4a and d, quote, in that respondent attempted to engage in conduct that would seriously interfere with the administration of justice, unquote. The so-called proof of concept letter is the draft Clark compiled that would have urged legislatures and states where Trump lost to quote, send an unauthorized slate of electors to Congress, unquote, according to the ethics charges. All this is such a sad, low state of the man who quite possibly would have been Donald Trump's attorney general. And who knows, may may mm. play some role in a future Trump administration uh, should the apocalypse arrive and we be faced with that in the future. Call us when there's an oil spill, yeah. Jeffrey. Best. Uh, and remember how Clark wanted this Fulton County charges removed to federal court as well? He he wants everything to go to federal court. Um, and he was denied. We knew that, right? They, they denied Meadows. They denied him. They denied the fraudulent electors because the fraudulent electors were like, we're federal officers because <laughs> we're <laughs> electors. No, sorry. Uh, well, he asked for a stay. Judge Jones is the is the federal judge down there in Fulton County. And he said, can you stay your order sending me back to state court and Judge Jones said no. That happened this week. <laughs> kind of flew under the radar, um, but uh, it's part of the Fulton County uh, story. And we didn't have a lot of Fulton County news, but that was uh, that was a little bit a uh, little piece there if we, to, to round out the show. If we ever took the podcast to video, we could have little pictures of Clark in his underwear in his driveway with his hands behind his back, and every time these things like a big red denied stamp with a ah! sound that we could just <laughs> keep, to, it would be like a recurring. It, it feels like a twice or thrice a week event where poor Jeffrey Clark's legal motions collapse and um get dismissed across the land yeah. but heading yeah. to bar all discipline. of them navarro 
Yes. I mean, yes. they all, it's, no, it's just like, stop trying to make fetch happen, you guys. It's not going to happen. That's right. But all coming. Rudy Charles, Shay Moss, and Ruby Freeman coming up in early December. Clark's disbarment in DC coming up in early January. It's all coming. Navarro and Bannon decisions presumably coming soon. Um, yep, and we could have a Rudy Giuliani disbarment decision any minute now. We've been on the any minute now train for like a month and a half or at least. Um, so it's not looking good for uh, for the elite strike force. Mm, elite strike force team, Jenna singing, singing down in Fulton County. Yeah, I'm going to look forward to that. I'm, as soon as we get uh, uh, done with the show here, I'm going to go look at more of these notes. Um you know, basically the the crux of it uh, from from these uh, proffer videos to Fulton County is that we're just going to stay in power. And that's what uh, Ellis was told. We're not leaving the White House. Uh, I'm going to read into this. This this is um, going to be very interesting. And we can also expect, you know, we talked to Anna Bauer. We're waiting to see uh, to have those documents unsealed that yep. uh, Judge McAfee had ruled that uh, will be unsealed in the um, in the Chesbro Powell uh, stuff so we might be able to see their apology letters but who, who knows but we'll keep an eye out we'll be reporting on it all for you here on cleanup on l45 thanks again to our patrons thanks to our hall of famers again if you want to sign up patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod a-i-s-l-e four five p-o-d um you you i can't thank you enough and so we will see you next week and if you're a patron we'll see you this weekend on the super sweary unscripted very blue uh, patron bonus episode of Clean Up on L45. <laughs> so thanks very much. I've been Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Struck. Clean Up on L45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on L45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>